Hey, this is Scott from Carnifex, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. All right. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another new edition of Interview Under Fire. This is your host, and Sunny, as always. And today, I am so stoked to welcome back a viciously talented frontman, Scott Ian Lewis. Uh, it's an honor again, man. Always great to have you here on IUF. You know, we're once again coming up on a uh, big moment of the year for you and the rest of the guys over at the uh, Mighty Carnifex with the release of your new album, Necromantium, uh, unleashing October 6th through Nuclear Blast Records. Now, Scott, I do want to first commend you on 18 years of brutality, uh, ninth album now in this band's discography. Uh, there's that level of consistency, man. A lot to talk about this record. But before we get to everything, right, uh, I know it's been a minute, about two years since we last uh, got together and talked about what we love most about the music. And then there you had several insane tours alongside an album anniversary tour, I believe. You've been busy, man. How are you? I don't yep. think I asked you that yet. <laughs> we got some catching up with you, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah, I think uh, you summed it up with busy. Uh, ever since we got on the other side of the pandemic, uh, we, we hit the ground running and we haven't really let up. We've, we've been super busy and you know, this last year and a half, whenever we weren't on tour, we were working on this record. Uh, and then we, you know, went into the studio and, and recorded the whole thing. And now we're doing all the press for it. And then we get right back on the road in October. So we're grinding. Man, it's it's so good to see you doing what you're doing. I know dropping an album in the midst of all this makes it that much more exciting, I imagine. I know last time we did this with Graveside, you dropped it during a pandemic, you know? I, I'm sensing the vibe is a little different this time around, right? With the surrounding and oh, album release. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, doing the record during the pandemic, I it was a it was a good experience just because it was so different and, and weird from every other record we did. Yeah. Um, but I much prefer not being in a pandemic <laughs> and doing an album. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been much better this time around. Uh, Scott, here's the thing, man. Uh, with this album, I'm going to say this. Pumpkin Spice is back at Dunkin' Donuts, okay? And I was listening to Necromantia once Nuclear Blast sent it to me while prepping for our interview. I felt like it was October again. That's my birthday month. I told Sean this uh, last time he was here. He's like, yeah, this is the best time of the year for you, man. It's such a nice guy, by the way. <laughs> the symphonic and death metal and like death core elements that you guys have incorporated with ease into your music. It's just it just sounds so natural. It's hot here in Texas. We're about to reach 110 today, but I felt the chill of fall air during this album experience <laughs> with Necromantium. And, you know, following up, I, I, I do want to switch subjects here because following up on a subject we spoke about last time, Scott, aside from the work you do right behind the mic, you have just as much talent with a pen. I want to remind our listeners that you are also a writer because where you derive that side of your personal experiences and influences from different filmmakers. And I went to film school, so you're talking to the right person here. And writers like, uh, I believe, Andrew Kevin Walker and Alan Ball, Hitchcock comes into mind, Fincher. You have that 54-page graphic novel, right? Death Dreamer. Any thoughts mm -hmm. on future writings that you've been up to? I know we talked about this heavily last time, and I was very intrigued by it. I don't think we had time, enough time to talk, dive in this a little bit more, but... Uh, tell me about how Death Dreamer has been going. The reception's been going since we last spoke. It's been two years, you know. But yeah, um, what else well, is going on with yeah. that? <laughs> Getting Death Dreamer out was was awesome because it gave me a chance to write it in a different form. Uh, obviously, I, I love writing lyrics. I love writing songs, but 
it is a very specific format that is a bit limiting if you want to write narrative fiction. Um, I mean, of course, you could have like a concept album, but it's not like you get dialogue in a record. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And so, you know, I had originally written Death Dreamer as a television pilot um, and shopped it around, tried to get people interested. But what you come to find out about TV and film industries, it's super similar to the music industry in that just like a band can have a great demo, it doesn't necessarily mean mm-hmm. anything's happening. You know, you have to know the right person. You got to know the money man, the person that can say, okay, green light, we're going to finance this, you know, go in the studio and make your record or, you know, go out and shoot your show. Um, both of them don't have a whole lot to do with how good of an artist or writer you are. And they have a lot more to do with who you happen to meet, timing, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so because I wasn't able to make a whole lot of headway getting it made as a uh, television show, I decided, well, you know what? I'm just going to drive driver's seat and I'll release it as a graphic novel. And so I did it uh, independently. We did a crowdfund for it and I was able to release part one uh, of the series, of the Death Dreamer series. And since then, uh, the book has actually sold out. So I had printed 2,500 copies. And, and we sold all of them. Actually, I have four of them left and they're sitting in my office and that's about it. You know, um, I'm hanging on to those ones. And um, fairly recently, uh, we're, we're, the wheels are turning on it right now. Uh, I had written part two and just prior to the pandemic, we had started working on part two with, with my artist, uh, the guy that does illustrations. Obviously, the pandemic derailed us. Mm-hmm. But now that it's passed, we're back to working on it and we actually looks like we have a publisher now. And the exciting thing about this is, yeah. So I had been doing it independently, which, you know, I'm I'm doing it with money I make on the road. So I wasn't able to release the whole series at once. I was just going book by book, but it looks like the publisher wants to do the whole series in one big book. Um, So, which is super awesome. Uh, it looks like that's happening. So right now I'm finishing the script for the for the rest of the story. Uh, and it was originally supposed to be a trilogy. So I, I'm writing basically a, a third script. I'd already had the second one ready. And then we're going to compile the whole thing into one big book. And the idea is, no guarantees yet, but the idea is that's going to come out in 24. Oh, so some headways happening. It just, it took a minute because the pandemic yeah. you know, shook everything up and it looks like the series will be coming out in, in a single anthology uh, in 24. So that's what we're working on right now. Any chance that you're going to bring uh, part one of uh, Death Streamer on the road with on this tour for fans to divulge in? <laughs> I, it's sold out. I, I had been doing that. I had been bringing it, uh, copies yeah. of the book with me to sell, but we, we sold all the copies. And, and I don't, I'm not going to print a second run if we're about to go and, and do this full, this full series as, as one, uh, as one book. So hopefully by 24, when the, when the full book's out, I'll be bringing that one with me. Dude, you know, that, that's so great to see it. And, and I'm really happy that I'm really proud, almost like a proud moment to see where you started to where you are now. You, <laughs> you were, you were vaguely talking about part two when we last spoke and we didn't know what was going to happen. Obviously this was two years ago, but Everything that you just told me, right, Scott, you know, being an author, does that provide you with an escape that you really can't reach as a musician? Probably, in other words, an extension of who you are. 
It does. It definitely does. You know, because with the band, uh, there's certain expectations and, and themes that you that you kind of need to embrace in order to give the audience what they're counting on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the for- narrative, uh, dialogue, set pieces, like emotional climaxes, you don't really get to do that necessarily in the same way as you do with music. Um, I mean, obviously, certain of those certain parts of those elements can be there, but there's still it's a very different format, you know. Yeah. Um, and I, I love television and film, uh, and I, I've been writing scripts now since 2012, so it's something I've been working on for a while, and I'm just starting to feel like I'm getting okay at it now. There was there's that saying: it takes 10 years to get good at anything. And I think I've, I'm I'm over the ten year hump, and I feel like I'm actually kind of starting to get good at, at screenwriting now. So it's been much, it's been very enjoyable these last two years. You got me rethinking my philosophies now. Everything that I think I'm good at now, I got some time to catch up on. It's like well, podcasting, it, interviewing. I'm I'm even writing scripts. I have a script that this day yeah. that I haven't given Damn. given to anyone. I've been writing that for like six years. I went to film school for three years. So so that I mean, when you're talking about your growth and your development as a writer, and I'm, and I'm thinking, man. That's it takes a lot of hard work and de- dedication to your craft. And it's it, I can see that like rounding out, rounding you out as a person, as an artist, from a singer, from an author. It I think that's so cool to see. And you're going to present this to all your fans, probably showing a side to, to your fans that that they've never seen from you, which is really cool. So I don't know how you feel about that. But, you know, that's that's getting the whole glimpse. Of I'm excited. Says, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. And, you know, I have other obviously I have other scripts outside of death dreamer, you know, so I'm always, I've, I've been writing. I tried to stay fairly busy through the pandemic writing. Yeah. And the, the thing about screenwriting is, is like, nobody's asking you to do it. So you yeah. have to be self-motivated and sometimes it can be a slog, you know, like, mm-hmm. you, <laughs> know you know, <laughs> like at, you know, the, rewrites and rewrites and rewrites all over again. Yeah. Hey, there's, I remember hearing something early on, uh, in, when I started writing, which is writing is rewriting. And mm. you know what? That's actually true. Writing is rewriting. And I realized that the the hardest draft is that first one, the vomit draft. If you can just get your beginning, your middle, your end, your characters, and something close to the roadmap that that script's going to follow, if you can just get to the end. Then you go back and you start rewriting and editing. Like you've done most of the work at that point. It's just that first draft, it can suck. <laughs> Even if you have a great idea and you love the characters, sometimes they're just like, I don't know, like, what am I even writing right here, <laughs> you know? So on top of that, uh, th- this was, uh, uh, now I feel like I have to ask you this now, because as as a writer, um, mm-hmm. let's say you finished a draft, right? And you kind of just let it sit and sit and sit. But what happens during that time? Your life changes. You mm-hmm. watch different things. You're interested in, you know, different themes and maybe different elements in your life that you're exposed to. How it's so hard with now that you have that experience. Now I got to go back and, ah, oh, I should have done it this way. Do you fall into that trap? Like you're in a different state of mind, I feel like, than you were two years ago. Has death oh, evolved, true, yeah. you know? It has. And I think a big part of that is I became a better writer just yeah. because I stayed focused on it. And also, you know, the first, the first, death dreamer book i wrote that script in 2018 so we're in a different time now five years you know and so you know i've grown a lot i've changed a lot i've i've learned more as a writer um i i've been reading 
other people's writing, you know, more. Um, obviously, the experience of the pandemic gave me a lot of insight I didn't have previously. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, things are always evolving. And, and yeah, there's certain things I look at on, uh, in the first book and I kind of go, eh, I could have done that better, you know, <laughs> or like, man, I, I could have set myself up for yeah. something else a little better here. But that's kind of, you know, being a good writer is really you're just solving problems. So I tried to just look at it like that and say, okay, maybe I didn't write the perfect script for part one, but it's okay. I can solve all these problems in part two and three. Um, and I'm sure another couple of years have passed and I'll look back and say, I could have done this, that, and that better. The same whole group for music. You know, I look at the early records and I go, whoa, I could have done that better. But, you know, that's the thing about being an artist. You have to be able to put something out and let it go and move on. You can't think that this is the only good idea i hold on to it forever you got to put it out say it is what it is now i'm gonna go write something better i'm gonna go write something better and you just have to keep saying that that through your yeah. career you know i don't know your your first sounds are pretty good man but this is coming from a fan perspective <laughs> no i yeah i know they're good and they're fun but like if if you're thinking about it like you know because as an artist you have to be able to critique yourself and yeah. self-edit very true and recognize what is worthwhile and what's not. And so I can listen to some of those earlier records and think, well, I could have done this, <laughs> could have done that. Uh, but, you know, any any artist can do that. Any filmmaker can do that, you know. Yeah, and what I see with, with that resemblance is uh, growth. You are really you actually see yourself as a person grow by just reading your lyrics, whatever you wrote 10 years ago, even 15 years ago. That's a really cool, cool thing to see. Now, before we move on, I got to ask you this because I've been on a James Cameron kick lately. So I got to ask, mm. do you have a favorite James Cameron film, Scott? Because, you know, uh, the last one I saw, yes, I did see Titanic. Nothing to do with the events that happened <laughs> earlier this summer. But that is actually a really good movie. I actually refocused, like, the shots, that that, that million-dollar shot where it goes from Leo all the way around the ship to the, to the stern. I love that shot, and I'm just appreciating it more and more the older I get. I saw it when I was, like... It was 1997 when it came out, man. I was a young kid, <laughs> didn't understand anything. Right. I just wanted to see a ship sink, and I have a whole different appreciation for movies. But James Cameron films, how do you feel about them? What's your favorite one? <laughs> he's, I mean, he's a fantastic filmmaker. I think he's oh, yeah. the only filmmaker that has like two or three. Uh, yeah, and like two a top two billion five, I think that's probably like top five grossing films of all time. He has maybe top that three list. of them. Yeah, yeah, I know. Pretty, pretty amazing, honestly. But yeah, obviously. Uh, Terminator is amazing. Yeah. Um, and he did, did he do the first Alien, right? He did the second one. That's my favorite. Aliens. The second one. Yeah, Aliens. Aliens is in my top yeah. 10. Like out of all films, that that film's just game over, man. You know, Bill Paxton, rest in peace, the great Bill Paxton. But that that movie does it for me, for Aliens. Yep. For me. Yeah. And then, uh, I mean, yeah, Titanic, of course, is obvious. I mean, it's like part of film history. I don't yeah. find watching it <laughs> but uh obviously you know it is an amazing film epic film um i haven't seen the new avatar but i, I saw the first one it's it's really good i didn't Actually, go quite as crazy as ever yeah yeah as far as like sequels go i know we can talk about how great sequels are aliens is one of them i thought blade runner 2049 was a better movie than the first one that's just my opinion but i think avatar yeah. 2 is better than the first one it's actually that was it it's about three hours long as as long as oppenheimer oppenheimer was which i saw oppenheimer last night on 70 mm holy shit that was probably uh -huh. the loudest movie i've ever seen in my life if you haven't seen it yet but 
I haven't, no. <laughs> that nuclear explosion thing, we'll just wait for that. It's it's a thing of beauty. But <laughs> hey, as far as metalheads, uh, we can go far as like loud noises forever. But um now uh did did you say aliens? I, I don't think did you even come up with a <laughs> choice yet? Was it aliens? Yeah, it, aliens okay, Terminator, okay. Uh, I think would be my would be my favorites. Okay. Yeah, check on that, man. Uh great movies. Uh now I gotta ask, you know, alongside Sean and Corey and Fred, of course, you are now a five piece, bud. Uh, mm-hmm. adding guitarist Neil Tyman. A shout out to Neil. He was one of the first guests we've ever had on Interview Under Fire when he was with Devil Driver. So shout out to that guy. You guys found a gem in him. You know, rounding out, rounding you guys out to this new refined version. I feel like of Carnifex. Uh, you know, what new element does Neil bring, or maybe even brought back into the Carnifex lineup that you may not have had before, man? Well, he's an amazing writer which having another strong writer just makes everything better, you know? Yeah. Um, so having that really, it was the, obviously on the internal side, the most noticeable. He's, he's a great individual to be around, which we, when you're in a band, you, you guys are might as well be married. You know, it's like you're so close to someone and you're doing so much together. So, so often, whether it be in the studio, on tour, you know, travels, whatever it might be that, being a good person and being able to stand that person is like 80% of it, you know, like <laughs> even if you were like, maybe you weren't the best guitarist, it's like, yeah, but he, he's really easy to hang out with. So let's just keep it this way, you know? Uh, but he is also an amazing guitarist, which, which just makes everything better. And obviously his solos are, are really stand out fantastic pieces. So we were happy to have all of his solos uh, on the, on the new record as well. Man, uh, yeah, uh, keep him for as long as you can because Neil's Neil was such a nice guy. Like I, I feel like we feel like we should just grab a beer and just sit down with him as opposed to just any other interview. He was a really nice guy, but um, I really love this new refined version of Carnifex. Now, I I asked this to Sean last year when I interviewed him, and one of the things that makes Carnifex I feel like is the live presence that you guys exhibit on stage. That dead in my arms tour, holy shit! I don't know if you remember me. I was in the front going crazy in the pit. But uh, you guys were with Spite last year when you guys came through. I believe mm-hmm. it was a Southside Ballroom. I would also like to point out that you guys are all on this Necromantium tour with Signs of the Swarm to the Grave and Last te- Last Ten Seconds of Life. Here's the thing, Scott. I ask a lot of questions about chemistry between different members of the same band, right? Like we just talked about. I always find those answers very interesting. But in this case, I do want to talk about the chemistry between the different bands on this upcoming tour, because this is an important tour for a lot of death poor diehards. You know, do you think it takes chemistry to make tours like this work? You've been on so many of them, but I feel like this, this bill, these bands that I just labeled off, uh, it really shows how each band complements the other in the lineup. It's because we've had Bobby from signs of the swarm on our show. By the way, that's a great album. So many great albums this year, their new album just dropped not too long ago, but chemistry like do you see that between like bands as opposed to just yeah themselves? absolutely absolutely and when we're putting a tour together that we're that's like the thing we're thinking of the most is mm. is this experience in its totality you know not necessarily just hey we're playing last uh like you know what are the biggest names we can get or, or whatever <laughs> uh we're yeah. definitely thinking like what what makes the best show you know from when kids walk in the front door to when they go home uh that's what we're after when we're trying to produce a tour and so this was the lineup we had went after initially and thankfully we were able to get everything that we went after on it so i hope that it gives the fans 
a little bit taste the different taste of all the bands all the kinds of deathcore and extreme metal that's happening right now yeah and to me it's just one of those shows where every band sounds a little different but i think for the most part everyone is pretty much aware of fans are aware of each different band and their and their own uniqueness yeah and uh th- i think you guys are coming through actually the dallas date is a unique one because it's the monster mosh festival which is going to be an all-day thing i don't know if you know about this but it's going to be packed dude i can't yeah, wait yeah. to uh, I'll, I'll be there uh, uh it'll yeah. be it'll be good to we haven't even met each other in person yet yet and i've i've seen you so many times i got to come and say hey to you but because you've been you've been so gracious to me for the last couple of years yeah, and definitely. You now uh let's get to necromantium man what do you think uh this drops october 6th on nuclear blast records this is the ninth album I thought it was just an amazing follow-up to Graveside. That's been in my rotation since the drop, dude. I think people will be very satisfied with this one. I actually believe you one-upped yourself with this record. Good luck on <laughs> topping well, this one. Wonderful. because. And, and, and I got to say this, you know, the challenges of keeping things fresh, right? After we talked about this earlier, 18 years with the same band. Do you feel any of that, the challenges? Is there something that you personally point to, Scott, mentally that keeps those creative juices flowing for a band like Carnifex? You know, I think for us, we, we have always to, it's it kind of what I was saying, but like, you have to be able to put something out and, and then also look at it and say, it's, I can do better. I can do better. Mm. And that's what we've really tried to do since our first album is every record we put out, our goal is to do a better version of that record itself in different ways and obviously music's subjective so i'm sure there's people out there that would say not every record last and i might even agree with them on a couple records but overall i think that our goal has stayed the same which is become better musicians and, and and put out a better album each time we do a release and so in that sense, this record was no different than the others. Our, our goal was to write a better record than our last one. Mm-hmm. But having Nico in, working with Spencer, who did the orchestrations, and just trying to think of how we can improve upon the things that we do while also enjoying the songs that we write, I think we put that focus into every song and, and it gave us a outcome. You know, I think every song is pretty refined. Every song, I think, is definitely us. Also, not a graveside B side. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like a different album, which was our goal. You know, uh, I wonder. I asked this question to a friend of mine recently, who was also on our uh, podcast. You know, at what point, as being a member of the band that's been there since the beginning, Scott, at what point do you stop and like feel a level of satisfaction once a record is, you know, done? Or is it just already you're thinking about the next one? Do you just stop and be like, let's take a moment to appreciate this, man. I've been doing this for 18 fucking years, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm already thinking about the next one. Um, <laughs> I already started writing stuff down for the next one. Um, you know, that's a, I mean, that's probably something I need to work on as far as like taking time to appreciate <laughs> what we put out because on the industry side, um it's everything is focused on what's next what's next what's next and no matter how good something is or how bad something is yeah that you just have to be bigger sell more tickets get more streams whatever on the next one 
And even if you have a record comes out and does amazing, it's like, oh, you know, good for you. Next one better be bigger. Uh, <laughs> and it's like that, you know, it, like you're saying, 18 years, that that way of thinking by the industry starts to get ingrained into your mind that no matter what you put out, it's not good enough. Your next thing needs to be bigger. Um, and we're always like on this thin ice of like, if you ever do a tour or put a record out, it doesn't perform as well as your last thing, then all the industry people are going to be going, you know, I don't know. Might be time, might be time to hang it up, you know, cause look, mm. look at the numbers, you know, your, your streams are down your ticket sales are down, you know, fill in the blank. Um, and after 18 years, you know, we've ridden those peaks and valleys. Like, you know, we put out a hell chose me and that, that record was huge. It sold like over 40,000 copies and was on billboard and all that stuff. And then, until I feel nothing came out and it didn't perform as well. And so we, we had to ride those waves of what happens, how the industry reacts to you. The second you do something that isn't going to make them more money than the last thing you did. And it's a very negative response. And it's probably like a trauma mm -hmm. response. I've been trained like, Oh, you can't appreciate anything because no matter what you did, it's not enough. Um, and that's, unfortunately an unfortunate symptom of the music industry you know um and there's kind of no getting away from it it's the it, managers and the labels they're heat seeking missiles and they just go to what's hot and yeah. if something's hotter than you well they just go to that like there's no thought to artistry or effort or intention it's just what can i glom on to that is going to bring me the most revenue period you know yeah and if you did something that is big, they love you for that moment. And then if you can't follow it up with something bigger, well, why would they be interested in you, right? I guess you've peaked. And so that attitude of the industry is kind of, you know, we've been browbeat by that for so many years, so many labels, so many managers that um, that's just kind of how we think. And so it's like, for me, I have this moment where the record's mine, it's, when it's it's done it's recorded and we have all the finals back from the studio it's totally finished that's the finished record but nothing's come out yet so in the case of necromantium we put a, our first song out july 24th i think it was yeah and we turned the record in uh, at the end of april or april 15th right in there so my time with the record was april 15th to july 24th that's when i loved it and enjoyed it and then that you know, okay, July twenty fourth came and went. The label has it; it's in the public's hands. I can't think about it anymore because if it does great, it doesn't matter because the next thing has to be better. And if it does horrible, it doesn't matter because the next thing has to be better. So I can't care about it anymore. I have to start mm -hmm. working on what's next. That's a very interesting perspective. I really appreciate you sharing all that, Scott. You know, it's let uh, you know that time frame. Let's let's extend that. You know, remember that. Remember what you just said. The next time you take the stage, yeah. you know, because again, this is I'm just a fan. I I don't know if my voice even matters, but I mean, from songs like "Torn in Two to "Title Track" to uh, what is it? "How the Knife Gets Twisted." I love that track, and all the way to "Heaven and Hell" all at once, bro. And uh, there's a solo that Neil plays at the end that I was like, holy shit. That just took <laughs> Carnifex to a whole new level. There's this evolution to the band sound. I mean, I don't care who you are. That's not easy to do, putting out nine albums 
in 18 years, yet here you are. And fans, and even bands, they have even cited Carnifex as as influential pieces and and and, and metal and music acts in the industry who have pushed them to where they are today. That's a fact. I mean, you look at all the YouTube comments. As a journalist, I do that. You know, all the social media comments, how people are coming forward, the reception I've seen at these shows. I mean, it's insane. That's always an important thing to remember. Yeah, the industry is going to do what they're going to do. But uh, may I remind you, you're you're here for a reason, bud. And uh, I'm <laughs> I'm really happy to see to see where you're going. I'm excited to see where you go from here, dude. So I think you guys really are are peaking at a really good point at a really good time in your career. So I just wanted to extend my well, appreciation. You. So, but and uh, your voice, <laughs> your voice does matter because yeah, that's the thing. If we were, we were just here for the industry. I mean, I, I'd be gone, right. It's mm. the industries. It's thankless. Like they, they don't, I mean, I, I, I got horror stories for you, how we've had managers where, you know, we've paid them hundreds of thousands of dollars over over the course of years. Jeez. And then you, you still find out they're just completely unethical, only in it for the money. They're talking all this shit behind your back the first second they can. And you're just like, wow. So we're just we're just like we're just a, a money source to these people. They don't care about us as people, they don't care about our art, they don't care about what we're trying to do, they certainly don't care about the fans. And that's another point of contention with the industry. The industry has a very negative view of fans, um, which I've been out and I've met hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fans. And they're literally the only reason we keep coming back. And so for the industry to always look down on them the way they do, uh, I just, you know, it's this dichotomy that, that really bugs me about, about being in the music industry sometimes. Is I love being on stage. I love creating. I love the art and I love the fans. But the, the, institutions we have to do it through are awful i understand man uh that's really great insight dude these shows fans are painting their faces i've never painted my face before scott maybe for like <laughs> one football game in my in the past but i'll do it for you guys when you guys come through in october yeah, but yeah. but uh i i gotta get into this because i want to get into this is this is a really cool part of carnifex i've always appreciated we talked about movies right Dude, getting into this interesting theme for the album here, because the lyricism throughout Necromantium, and I'm just going to uh, read this off here because it was so intriguing. You could just make this into a movie, a room filled with mirrors and using that medium to speak to the dead in other dimensions. Like, dude, holy shit. You painted this whole illustration for me in my head mentally that I'm just like uh, that, that dark theme. I just saw Hereditary recently, so I'm just like thinking like that, that house with, like, <laughs> with the mirrors yeah. all around. And yeah. it presents the concept. What I'm what I'm trying to get at is presents the concept is what if you could use that kind of room to do that? You know, speak to the dead. What secrets uh, uh, of the world could you uncover from a direct conversation with a green reaper? Like, how do you come up with that concept, bro? I mean, not a monster, but like a fellow intellect. I begin to think of like the tangibles of theme or messages to your music. If that's always like a big component of songwriting for a band like Carnifex, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> we need the wings think, for this. <laughs> uh, you know, I think like you can think about if death is eternal, which I suppose it is right. It's, it's been there mm -hmm. since time. Um, maybe it has this amazing insight. And I know obviously even to this, you know, throughout the evolution of human history, we don't really know 
what or who God is or how it's manifested, if it's manifested at all. Yeah. It, you, you know, there's all these different world religions. You know, you have a billion people think this, a billion people think that, a billion people think something else. So there is no consensus on what comes next. And it's almost like, what if, what if death is God? And not in this awful way of like, you know, the devil or, or anything like that. Hmm. But what if it's, what if death is that duality? What if death is God and the devil, right? And something just are, and it's not because you're, death doesn't come after you because you're a bad person. It's just your fate, you know? Um, and I, I guess it's kind of, of like medical, metal, metaphysical type stuff as far as that idea of, you know, when we cross over is, is it just a, a light switch just gets turned off and that's it. Your story's done. You're forgotten. Or does our energy go somewhere? And when you kind of look into some of the stuff they're doing with like really this wild cutting edge science, it's like they can split an atom. They mm. can take that atom to a completely different part of this research facility. And when they move that atom, the other one they split it with moves in tandem. I don't know how you explain that. I mean, that's to me, that's just puts your mind in a pretzel. It's like, what could what else could that mean right and if our bodies are just made up of atoms which they are i mean what does that mean after we die right i mean is there this mirrored existence somewhere we can't see you know i i don't know so that's a lot of what the record is questioning now the idea is what if you could sit down and talk to to death this sort of great arbiter that doesn't necessarily have a dog in the fight. They don't want to see you really live, but they have this observation. They have the benefit of observation. They have the answers from all these, you know, hundreds and millions of life and death. And to me, that just seemed like an interesting topic. Jeez, you can't even see it, but I got goosebumps right now. I'm thinking about as you're uh, <laughs> as you're talking about this. They're coming out with some of these movies where you're able to uh, talk to me. That movie that just came out about speaking to the dead through a some kind of. Have you seen the trailer for this? It's insane. It's an Australian movie. I, I haven't. And no. it's got like a 96 percent on Rotten Tomatoes anyway. But the point is, like, you're 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 talking to the dead through a vessel. And mm. you see what you see what I'm saying. It's like it, as, as you're just talking about the concept of necromantium i'm thinking about man there's so many different ways i've never been the, i've never had the the balls to actually go in and do that like go and talk to the dead I and mean, my brother has maybe i can mm. reach out to him yeah i just spoke with scott of carnifex and this is what he talked to me he's like what <laughs> scott told you that we gotta do that so but that is a very deep like that's a very like uh, a conceptual theme like it goes very intellectual too just the whole part about you talking about splitting the atom that's a very i didn't think about that until you even like brought it up but i feel like we could go down that rabbit hole even further and further but um uh, man, i appreciate you sharing all that but hey i want to yeah. talk about the themes of necromantium you just, <laughs> i'm gonna blast it in my car again later today with a whole different train of thought and uh, who knows where i'll be yeah <laughs> but... I mean, and that's the thing it, it kind of starts with with torn in two you know that song torn in two is is really about God, what what a great what a great track to open up. Who's whatever decision was that? I was like the the album just flowed so relentlessly. Sorry, I just had to 
praise you on oh, the structure yeah. of the album because uh, it was so great. It's my yeah, second favorite on there. Anyway, no, go ahead. No, Torn no, into. <laughs> oh, well, it, it's just, uh, yeah, it, it, that's kind of a great kickoff for the record, obviously musically, but also lyrically, because it, it really starts to delve into the duality of the whole record. How, how I was saying, like, you know, what if death is this this impartial arbiter and what if death is is God and the devil mm. in one, you know, and that's and we just our brains just can't quite figure it out um, or fathom such a thing. Um, and from there, you know, the, a lot of the other songs have different questions and, and kind of different ideas. And then where it ultimately ends up is my answer to that question is heaven and hell all at once. And the line in the chorus there is all, all the gods, all the heavens, all the hells are inside you. Yeah. And that, that was kind of where I arrived at the end of the record, which is, look, we're all of these things, you know, we can be good. We can be evil. We can be anything. And I think all of those facets are in us. And it really just comes down to what we choose to put out there and be. Um, and I don't believe anyone's inherently good or inherently evil, just like I don't believe death is inherently good or inherently bad. It really all just comes down to what you choose to be and, and how you choose to to view it. Man, great insight, man. I will never listen to these songs the same way again, especially after these last 30 <laughs> minutes. But uh, Scott, I know we've covered a great deal of topics on our conversation here. It's always great to have you back here. And the discussions we've had, right, are, are just so in-depth and enjoyable. You being so true to yourself and sharing your stories here on IUF on our publication. You make my job easy, dude. Like, I can't wait to see <laughs> you guys here in Dallas soon. I mean, and shout out to Sean also when I had him uh, last year. But here you are, right? Almost two decades with Carnifex now, nine full-length albums, uh, touring, the, the industry that you just talked about, even your growing fan base, your relationship with the music, your bandmates, even yourself. And I said this earlier, I think we're entering an important part in, and not just the band's career, but you as well. It, as I round out this interview here, I'm going to let you go off to your next one. What do you see as the most rewarding part for someone like you who is now at this point in their life? You know, because... You're also seeing results, which is definitely an inspiration to what you're doing. The most important part to me is the relationships with the people we've reached. Hmm. So being able to have this conversation with you, you know, you said earlier, like we we never actually met in person, but look at how we're able to sit here and, and like have such specific in-depth conversation that we yeah. both relate to and get that, that, that moment right there really encapsulates the value of of being a musician which is uh, we can i can have conversations with people i hadn't met until that very moment and somehow we're both exactly on the same page talking about the exact same thing and we both get it i mean think about how rare that occurs in society where oh i've never met this person but we're just going to instantly dive into this conversation and both totally get each other that's like not a thing you know outside yeah. of music and so for me Really, it's the relationships with the people that our music has reached. That is the single driving factor in why we keep doing it and, and why it, it has value. And I will also add that if it wasn't for the music that you put out alongside some other bands that obviously you see are on my wall, I wouldn't be where I am today. So, uh, again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Much appreciation to everything you've done throughout your career. Um, I didn't even say this, but I'm I'm such a nerd. I'm wearing a Whalen yutani shirt. I talked Aliens as my favorite movie. 
But anyway, I'm wearing a Wailing Utani shirt <laughs> yeah. from the movie. <laughs> I just realized that. That's awesome. Uh, it was awesome. it was great nerding out with you, man, and uh, talking about film and everything you've done. But uh, do you have any just last words? Is any shout outs? Anything else you'd like to plug in or mention as far as Carnifex or maybe new music video? I don't know what you can or cannot say, but the floor is yours, bud. Yeah, we're gonna have another single coming out August 25th. Uh, it's the single that uh, features Tom Barber from Chelsea Grin and Darko. Yes, um, so, I forgot about that. <laughs> we yeah, talked about so many out. things. There's so many we we left out so many topics, but uh, another great song. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so check that out. August 25th. Records out October 6th. We're back on tour October 11th. If you want to stream the record, hit it up on Spotify or Apple Music. And if you want to support the band, uh, grab a shirt or vinyl off of our any merch store. Right on, buddy. And uh, everyone's listening. This is Scott Ian Lewis from Carnifex and Necromantium drops drops October 6th on Nuclear Blast Records. Please do me and Scott a favor. Uh, check them out live, please, because they are a thing of beauty and uh, you will not stop moshing. And buy the record if you can, because <laughs> the bands can't do it without your help. Scott, I'm I'm old fashioned. I still buy records that's sitting in the corner of my room even today. So I'm <laughs> as more digital we get, the more old-fashioned i get i guess i'm going the opposite direction but uh and everyone's listening uh you can listen to this podcast on all major podcast streams out there check us out on interviewunderfire.com scott much love man uh nothing but the best for you and your bandmates from here on out i'll see you in a couple months all right let's stay in touch awesome man take care see you all right later bye-bye Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire Podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. If you'd like to check out more, visit www.interviewunderfire.com or our social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And finally, we want to thank you all for the support you've been giving us. Keep it burning.